Welcome back to Altiverse of Q, your guide to the ultimate universe. Now in podcast form, I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And this week we're reaching... The Verse. Countdown to... It ending. Countdown to end of the ultimate universe. Part 10. We're, we're doing a DC countdown style where... We don't know what we're counting down to, but we're counting down to something. You know about DC's Countdown series, right? I'm aware of it. So, they first did 52, which was, we're going to put five really good writers on, and they're going to come out with a weekly series that focuses on what happens in a year where Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are all gone. Mm. across the globe so it's a lot of very interesting stuff and a lot of like big emotional moments and it also did well in sales because the team was like greg rucka grant morrison jeff johns uh mark wade and i think like one other person who i'm forgetting and a good list yeah yeah like it was a hey, these are the biggest people we have getting to tell stories, getting to collaborate. And at the end of it, uh, or and that series went with normal numbering. So it was like, here's week one, here's week two, here's week three. And then when they got to the end of it, they're like, all right, now we're going to do Countdown, where it went from 52 to 51. And it was a clusterfuck. Because instead of having like really good writers collaborating weekly and having something that must have honestly been held for the editorial team to make sure that everything was getting in on time. I want to make sure that I get this right. Countdown, which became uh, Countdown to Final Crisis, was primarily headed up by Paul Dini as the overall architect, which Dini does some good work he also does some bad work but this was much more of the very awful we don't know what to do with our heroes and then when it became oh this is countdown to final crisis here are all the things that grant morrison said he didn't want us to do we're going to do all of that and it was much more poorly regarded Interesting. And, sorry, that was issue 51 through 0. Counting down from 51 to 0. And then Final Crisis is very good, but it's also very complicated, and the fact that most of the stuff that DC made to tie into it doesn't actually work, doesn't actually help anything. And, and so, what was what was the end result? Just Final Crisis? Uh, yeah, Final Crisis and a bunch okay. of things that contradicted what Final Crisis was supposed to be about. Okay. Like, Grant Morrison was specifically, hey, when I bring the new gods back for this story where they are going to be dying, it needs to be big. And they're like, oh, you're bringing the new gods back. Uh, we're just going to use them in this story that we're telling. And then they also published a completely contradictory story during Final Crisis called Death of the New Gods, 
which has nothing to do with Final Crisis, really. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, that's your that's your DC moment, because we haven't talked about DC in ages. But uh, we aren't here to talk about DC this week, Devin. We are here to talk about Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate Comics Ultimates. Yay. Yeah, uh, you know, it's... I, I remember Ultimate Spider-Man being regarded as important, but never really remembering if it was regarded as being good. In the same yeah. way that, like, Ultimate Spider-Man was before Miles came along. Mm-hmm. And I... I, I like moments of it, but I don't think that Bendis has as good of a grasp on Miles Morales as a character. See, what I feel like with Miles is, it's I think he can write the character decent, he just doesn't write a super good storyline to back him up. And he doesn't really have as strong of a supporting cast. No. I also saw like you have Genki and Genki's great but that was about it yeah well and you're familiar with the black lightning black superheroes having electric lightning powers right yes someone I pointed out on Twitter the other day that when Miles Morales was created of course Brian Michael Bendis gave the black spider-man lightning powers because that's essentially what the venom blast is yeah which uh, it, it, I I'd say is more a coincidence, but uh, I disagree with that a little bit only because to me, Jessica Drew has that power set. Not necessarily Ultimate One does, but Six One Six One does. Like the uh, well, she also has the pheromone thing. She also has that, but she does have the Venom Blast. Yeah, valid. Though I feel like it works differently for Miles, but also I have not read a lot of Jessica Drew's stuff in a while. Oh, that's fair. I just remember that was the power that she could use in the defunct Facebook game, Marvel Avengers Alliance. Luke's favorite game for a solid year and a half. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure it was longer than that, Devin. Uh, like, there was a while where I would get up for my job at the nursing home, get all of my flights, uh, updated, and then I would just play that in my free time while watching TV. And that even continued when I moved back, and yeah, I don't want to talk about the money that I spent on that, because it was a dumb amount, and I got nothing out of that, unlike Pokemon Go, where I don't feel bad spending money, because I'm at least walking usually four to five miles a day because of it. Nice. Mm -hmm. That's how I am less close to death. Oh, it went down way later than I thought in 2016. Yeah, I just stopped playing when I was like, oh, I don't want to look at how much money I've spent on this. I can just put that money into getting a uh, Wii U. And then I bought a Wii U. Nice. Yeah. Now Luke should take that money and put it into buying a PlayStation 5. PlayStation 5 has no games, Devin. PlayStation 5, day one, pre-ordered, Spider-Man Miles Morales. 
play that all day. I mean, I could also just play Lego Marvel Superheroes and use Miles Morales. We've already played that. That's not as fun. I haven't played it for the Switch. Also, I have Lego DC Supervillains that I need to theoretically play sometime. I rented but, that from the library. It's decent. Yeah, it it just quickly went into when I was playing with the audio on... The Joker says the exact same lines, like, every minute. Mm-hmm. And that got very tiring, and, um... Yeah, I've got other stuff I'm playing. I'm playing Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. Nice. Mm-hmm. I actually fired up Persona 5 yesterday. Ooh! I watched the anime of that a few weeks back. Nice. There's some stuff that was not appropriate when the game came out, but also some good stuff. Nice. How far are you in the game? I walked off the subway. Oh, okay. Well, but because actually it'll be because then I had to go on a quest to find a movie yesterday, which whenever I see you and Abby again, we are going to record the Nicolas Cage podcast in person. And this is the film we will be watching because holy shit, was it impossible to find? Uh, what what movie? It's called Kiss of Death. Okay. So it's with David Caruso getting pressured by the cops to try to take down a local ga- uh, gangster. Cop played by Samuel L. Jackson, local gangster and villain, Nicolas Cage. It's a weird movie from the mid-90s where Nicolas Cage plays an asthmatic gangster. Which was, and he is by far the shining part of the entire film. Uh, but it's out of print and like impossible to find anywhere i ended up being sold it from a video rental store for 25 dollars wild and i look forward to having some time where you abby and i can record a podcast in the same space that'll be fun yeah whenever that will be whenever that's gonna happen yeah this world, it just keeps burning. Anyways, Ultimate Comics, uh, Spider-Man, number 7 through 12, though we are going to make a slight addendum and change the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man that we covered previously, 1 through 5. And so this one will actually be 6 through 12, but we won't recap issue 6 again. Uh, is subtitled Scorpion, and was written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art on number 7 by Chris Somney. On number 8 by Sarah Pacelli, and on 9 through 12 by David Marquez, with Justin Ponsor doing the coloring for everything, and lettering by VCs Corey Petit. It, that, like, Justin Ponsor coloring does a lot to chain, or to tie everything together. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, while it is obviously very different styles... It makes at least the Pacelli de Marquez work a bit more. Yes, I would agree. But also, but also, it's kind of I forgot. Like for some reason, I thought that uh, Pacelli had ended up doing like all of the art in the same way that uh, I'm Bagley did. Ace. Yeah, and that is not the case. 
Like, no. she got announced, and it was a big thing, but then I think she immediately sort of, like, blasted off into, oh, here's a bunch of other books that people want her to do art for. Well, she comes back. She does a lot of the final stuff. I think she does most of Ultimate Comics Volume 2. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so Miles has been having issues living up to the whole Spider-Man legacy. He's been watching the videos that Genki found of, like, Peter Parker. But also, while his mom is supportive of whoever this new Spider-Man is, his dad is afraid of people with powers. And Miles also isn't really sure what his own limits are. He ends up fighting Omega Red, who is just trying to rob a bank, knocks him out. And meanwhile, the Prowler, who is Miles' uncle, Aaron Davis... Goes back to the Tinker trying to figure out uh, if he made the new Spider-Man. He realizes when Tinker is talking about how Osborn made the first Spider-Man that Miles must be this new Spider-Man. And he kills a Tinker to prevent anything about that getting out. And in Paris, Aunt May and Gwen are enjoying things until Aunt May sees a newspaper article about the new Spider-Man. It's, it's, it's a good like catch up on everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Then Mesa's got a jet. Mm-hmm. So Aaron shows up at Miles' school the next day explaining that he's like, hey, I know that you're in the new Spider-Man. We should work together. And Miles is not ready for this conversation at all, especially because his dad revealed that Aaron had done a bunch of awful stuff and was still doing awful stuff. And Nick Fury also... I almost said Nick Cage there. And Nick Fury also uh, doubled down on that. And, uh... Luckily for Miles, a school administrator chases off Uncle Aaron. Elsewhere, Police Captain Quaid, who had worked with Peter Parker as Spider-Man, he was trying to find out everything he can about this new Spider-Man, including talking to uh, the kangaroo, Frank Oliver. And the Scorpion has come to town, deciding to become the new Kingpin, and he puts out a bounty on the Prowler. Who had not given him what he was supposed to and then insulted him and, uh, and who had insulted him and assaulted him you may recall that from our last episode yes that's essentially what happened in number six which yes Ma for some reason marvel decided is going to be put into the first trade yeah i i both don't like but i also do appreciate writing to the trade Mm-hmm. So, Miles is feeling stressed about everything going on. He goes out to fight crime, runs into the ringer, who ties him up, but Miles is still able to knock the ringer out. That's when the police show up, and that includes Captain Quaid, who's like, Hey, I am either going to bring you in, or you need to stop being Spider-Man. Miles refuses and runs away. That night, when the Prowler goes to the Tinker's base to look for more technology, the Scorpion is waiting for him. So Aaron steals the vulture's wings, kills most of the scorpion's men, but the scorpion survives and Aaron has to run off. When Miles gets back, people have noted that he was missing, including the teacher checking for curfew and Judge, who is Miles and Genki's other roommate, who wants to know what's going on, but they refuse to say anything. And before he goes to bed, Miles receives a text from Aaron asking for help with one last job. 
Boom, boom, boom. So Miles meets up, and Aaron's like, hey, I am the Prowler. I also know that uh, you got a spider bite from a spider that I accidentally stole. We don't find out what Aaron was actually trying to steal, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And he decides to test out Miles' fighting ability, and he is winning until he steals Miles' mask, so Miles will venom blast him. And Miles reveals that Nick Fury knows about the Prowler, and he wants to know why Aaron is there. Aaron explains that he wants to train Miles, and Miles is like, nope, not going to do that. So then Aaron immediately turns to, if you don't work with me, I will tell your father. We just have to take down the Scorpion. We'll be good. It's one job. And Miles is trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't think that the Ultimates would have time for him, which this has to be before what's going on with, like, the Maker and stuff. Probably. And I feel like just... that would be a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. But at but the same also... point, it's just a, I feel like Nick Fury would just say, Hawkeye, put a arrow between Prowler's eyes and let us just finish this. I mean... That wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. And also, I feel like Miles letting Nick Fury know that, oh, the Scorpion has gotten in. But also, depending on the era of Nick Fury that we're dealing with or the type of Nick Fury, Fury might already know. Oh, 100%. So, uh, it's a weird thing. Ultimately, though, Miles doesn't think he can go to anybody for help. And believes that since the Scorpion is a bad guy, he's going to work with Aaron. So, Aaron not wearing a mask and Spider-Man bursts into the Scorpion's meeting. A shootout fights. Scorpion goes after Spider-Man. And Aaron ends up saving Miles. And they knock everyone out except for the Scorpion who chooses to run. Spider-Man Venom blasts him and turns him over to the police. And when he runs back to check on Aaron, he is missing. So, Miles returns to school and when he gets in... Aaron is texting him already about the next job, and Miles says no. That's why That's why you gotta bring your nephews out for some frosted chocolate milkshakes. Mm-hmm. After a job well done. Meanwhile, Aunt May and Gwen have moved back into their old house, and Aunt May asks Tony to get her into contact with the new Spider-Man. At school, Miles is thinking about telling his parents everything because he wants to be a good person. He doesn't want to end up an enforcer for Aaron. And when he heads home, Aaron is out there waiting for him, and Miles tells him to leave and that they'll talk later. That night, Miles meets Aaron on the roof and tells him to leave town. Aaron goes to attack him, and Miles ends up just breaking the tech that he's using. But the fight spills into the streets, where Miles has to now work on rescuing people while Aaron is attacking pretty blindly. When Aaron is about to knock Miles out, though, his shocker gauntlet explodes. Aaron is caught in the blast, and before he dies, he... Or, I mean, we don't know that he dies here. Before he falls unconscious, he says that Miles is just like him. And then he dies. Yeah. Presumably. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the end of it. I I don't think it's necessarily as strong as the first arc of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man. I agree. I I feel like there's both too much going on here and not enough going on here. I feel like the whole confrontation with the Prowler is something that needed to have been built up for longer. 
Mm -hmm. And we don't really get a good idea of who he is in the way that, like, Enter the Spider-Verse does a very good job of establishing mm. this relationship they have. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, like this one, it good. establishes it's his uncle, but it doesn't seem like he has a relationship with his uncle. Or it's just a relationship where Miles hangs out with him when he's not supposed to, but his uncle doesn't feel as fleshed out as a person. Like, we see his apartment, and it's never really fully decorated as opposed to, like, Enter the Spider-Verse, where that version of Aaron is really confident in who he is. He has a place that feels lived in and real. Mm-hmm. And he seems to, like, understand, like, what Miles is into. And, hey, let's go do fun things like spray paint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, we get the one moment of, oh, I'm showing you some kung fu movies when Miles is, like, eight. But beyond that, we don't really know how they hang out or why they hang out. And I don't think a teenager would want to come to a sketchy-ass apartment, even with their uncle who... It's weird. And uh, Enter the Spider-Verse does a much better job of it. Anyways, I don't think it's as good as who is Miles Morales. How do you feel about it compared to uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Omega Red? Mm -hmm. It's still better than Omega Red. Uh, Ultimate Armor Wars. I would say not as good. Alright, so our new number 70 is Ultimate Comics, Spider-Man 6 through 12, Scorpion. And then the other story that is now Ultimate Comics, Spider-Man numbers 1 through 5, is now our, is still our, uh, is still our number 42 story. And then we have... Ultimate Comics Ultimates numbers 7 through 12, which is titled Two Cities, Two Worlds. And it is written by Jonathan Hickman, with some later on assists by Sam Humphreys, with art by Saad Ribic. And then Luke Ross, with colors by Dean White and Matthew Wilson. With the additional Luke art. Ross? What? The Luke Ross? I don't know. Is this a reference that I'm not getting? No. Okay. Why Why did you say V. Luke Ross? It was a joke, Luke. I'm very confused, Devin. I want to go home. You are home. Damn right. With additional art by Butch Gweiss, Leonard Kurt, Patrick Zercher... Ron Garney, and additional colors by Matt Mila, Jesus Abertov, and letters by PCs, Clayton Cowles. And yeah, it's that uh, that classic Hickman and Asad Ribic uh, effort of, oh, shit, we don't have enough time to do all of these stories. Let's, let's just fly in a bunch of other people. And even Hickman's like, yeah, uh, here's my loose ideas, Sam. Go at him. Like, there is that first issue where Sam Humphreys takes over, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I see Hickman's not on this anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, Johnny Hicks. 
Yeah. I mean, luckily he's doing a much better job in general with his X-Men universe that he is managing right now. There's only been one book that is actively bad, and that's already over. That's good. Well, maybe two, depending on how you feel about the Zdarsky Fantastic Four X-Men. Nah. Which I finally got to reading it, and I was like, uh, okay. There's don't, not much. You don't blindly love the chip? I, I mean... Chip does some fantastic work, but he also does some work where it's just like, it's for the check. It's for a chip check. That's fair. I mean, I also... Sometimes you need your chip check. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also got around to reading his Marvel 2-in-1 series, and it's like, despite it literally just being a universe-hopping thing, Human Torch, and Doctor Doom story never really clicked all the way for me no that's too bad it it feels very gloomy which is not necessarily what i would expect from chip zadarsky writing a story about those two yeah i would agree Hmm. uh anyways they're they're the fun loving members of the ff yeah but it's also during the point where the rest of the fantastic four are missing presumed dead Uh, i guess that's fair Mm-hmm. And also, their powers are vanishing. <gasps> because that's like one of the three Fantastic Four stories that you get to tell. Yes. So, Nick Fury flies a helicarrier to the Twin Cities of Tian, looking to get them aligned against Reed Richards, the Maker, and his futuristic city, the City. He goes along with the Falcon, Sam Wilson, Monica Chang, and Clint Barton. To go to talk to Zorn and Zorn. And while Zorn with a Z is unwilling, Zorn with an X thinks that they should work. Or no. Now Luke doesn't doesn't remember. Oh, nope, nope, nope. So Zorn with a Z is unwilling, but Zorn with an X thinks that they should work towards peace and has the Oracle who's their sort of mutant who can just message everybody in the world uh, sends a message asking the people of the city to work together towards building a better world and the maker's like hey stop calling on my phone you asshole zap yeah he gets the people to shut down the message possesses the oracle calls all of them regressive and warns them that he will come after them before killing the oracle like it is such a petty ass but powerful move Mm mm-hmm In the Himalayas, Agent Flum is sent to bring the Hulk back. He had vanished into a temple uh, in Ultimate X and, or no, in Ultimate Hawkeye, and warns that if he doesn't return, S.H.I.E.L.D. will dissect Betty Ross, the She-Hulk, because they want to make more Hulks, and convinces Hulk to be used as a weapon against the city. And so they literally just shoot the Hulk from a satellite, and he is destroying things until the Maker comes to talk to him and promises him everything that he wants. The introduction of Agent Flum is a very weird thing. Mm-hmm. Because he is... Especially for where it goes. Yeah. Well, and he's based on uh, the Mentalist. or uh, He's based on Mentalo, who's like a 616 villain. But it kind of seems like... Jonathan Hickman wanted to do Dirk Anger from Next Wave. 
Ah. Tell us more about this, Luke. I know it is your favorite. I mean, it's it's now my problematic favorite because Warren Ellis turned out to be a shit man who was having multiple long-term uh, power abusive relationships with people. And, uh, yeah. Dirk Anger was initially created because when Ellis wanted to tell Next Wave he wanted to make S.H.I.E.L.D. the bad guys and it was right around that period where S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to start becoming S.H.I.E.L.D. again. Like around Civil War and Secret Wars where Nick Fury was going to have to start becoming America's best super spy because post 9-11 you have to, uh, you have to be jingoistic and believe that American intelligence is good no matter what and Tom King. And so when he was told that he couldn't, he created Dirk Anger, who has like 500 different problems and is just kind of crazy and power mad and hungry and why did I say Uh, just kind of crazy and power mad and angry and like especially some of the ways that uh, he gets illustrated. Feels much more Dirk angry to me. Yeah, I can see it. I never but, read Next Wave, Luke. Yeah. I mean, it's still very good, and it informs what Machine Man became, what uh, Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel became. Less so Boom Boom, but Boom Boom's been highly... Uh, adaptable uh, what Elsa Bloodstone became and a lot of other weird things did I ever tell you that I got the first issue for 25 cents in a clearance bin at uh, Half Price Books that was signed by Stuart Immonen I, I think we might have because I know I've told you my story about how I brought my copy of Next Wave to SPX one year when Stuart Immonen was there signing with his wife and he was like, oh, you had to sneak this in, did ya? Nice. Yes. Anyways, next wave. A very good book by a problematic creator. And drawn by a good creator. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, as Zorn mourns the loss of the Oracle, Zorn with a Z flies to go and destroy the city. In Washington, D.C., the president has enacted the plan, the Winter Protocols. Shortly after, Spider-Woman and Captain Britain are knocked out and captured at the Triskelion, and more S.H.I.E.L.D. agents go to try and apprehend Thor and Tony Stark at Stark Tower. We find out that the President has suspended S.H.I.E.L.D. as it was controlled by Nick Fury and has also launched every nuclear missile at the city. And while this happens, the Maker explains to the Hulk that the government is trying to kill him again with nuclear missiles and he shouldn't be loyal to the United States any longer, which... Valid? Very valid, Maker. So, while the Ultimates and the Twin Cities prepare to battle, unaware of what has happened, Flum, who is now the Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., is working towards moving the former S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to the Cube Prison, and he finds out that Thor and Iron Man are still resisting, and also Tony is having a cerebral hemorrhage. Meanwhile, by the city in the battle, Zorn takes off his mask, 
as his people are dying and this releases a black hole that damages the city kills zorn with a z but it is not enough to stop the city and for those of you who are unfamiliar with classic 616 zorn the idea was that under his mask he had a black hole so hickman's then jk like, yeah. he was magneto mm-hmm. i think you mean jk he was swagneto yes i almost said that actually <laughs> i i know so the Maker watches and gloats as Hulk is getting angry, and in retaliation, the Maker sends in a secret child that he had evolved that was kept hidden from the city and was made against the protocols of the rest of the children of the city, who he has named Death, who is then teleported into Congress and explodes, wiping out a major portion of Washington, D.C., as a result, in Colorado, the Secretary of Energy is secured by War Machine James Rhodes as the new president via laws of secession, and the country has fallen under martial law. Lum, meanwhile, has been chasing after Fury, the one man who could stop him since the Winter Protocols were declared, and before Fury disappears, he tells the other Ultimates, wackos, and then vanishes. Tony Stark, meanwhile, has been talking to a child version of himself that only he can see, and Thor is angry about what they can and can't do, but he is also concerned about his friend's health. They head over to the Baxter building where Sue finds out that Tony's brain tumor has returned, and also Tony finally remembers to tell Sue that Reed is the maker, which seems like something they forgot to do for way too long. That feels like would have been like the first call. <laughs> yeah. Even just say, do you think there's a way that you could stop him? In defense of Tony, though, he probably did start a bunch of his initial messages with, hey, you up. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ultimates, Monica, Sam, and Clint, meanwhile, have gone to California, where Flum has them under surveillance, and in Asgard, someone wielding Mjolnir has emerged from Yggdrasil. Tony, meanwhile, has been trying to reach uh, Carol Danvers, and S.H.I.E.L.D. has been sending agents after him and Thor. The Ultimates reach into the West Coast Operational Security, a secret Fury operation, a.k.a. the Wackos, where they find out that Nick Fury wanted to make a West Coast Ultimates, and they find Dr. Hugo Lopez, the last person working there, since nobody has been getting paid money, and Monica asks him to operate their secret team. The President is meanwhile dealing with the Army of Sentinels in the Southwest, hunting mutants, while Texas has dropped from the United States and they're being financed by someone with gold. Totally fine. Tony finally gets a meeting set up with the president, but only if he and Thor surrender. And Tony explains that he has a way to beat Reed if S.H.I.E.L.D. will in exchange stop the Winter Protocols. The Ultimates, meanwhile, have to hold off S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and they're doing fine until a squad of giant men are sent after them and all of them get captured. The president doesn't trust Tony, so he reaches out to the maker and is like, hey, I want to send you a peace offering. Here is Tony Stark, and Tony gets dropped off into the city. And the maker's like, hey, Tony, I can tell you're not in danger. I've won. Enjoy your tumor, motherfucker. Unaware to him, Tony's 
psychic tumor-induced child Anthony goes to talk to the city and befriends it. And so as Reed is preparing to kill Tony, Anthony forms part of the city into a giant robot. Reed tries to control the city, but the city is like, hey, I have friends. I actually have friends. Friends, friends, friendly friends. I have one friend. And they call for a vote of no confidence over the maker because he has been hiding what the city can do. He has been breaking protocols and he has been uh, displaying some regressive behavior like attacking the United States. And so the children vote to basically fire the maker. In retaliation, realizing that he is kind of screwed, he injects the Hulk with Giant Man serum. So there's a big fight between the robot that Anthony is controlling and that the Hulk is controlling, and this is enough to weaken the defense of the city. And it turns out that this was Tony's plan because he can talk to his tumor now. And yes, so tumor BFFs. Uh -huh. They go on weekend benders together. I mean, it's more his tumor son. Mm-hmm. It's not a tumor. It's my son. So Thor and Sue Storm move in to attack. Sue finds Reed, bubbles him up, and the Hulk gets knocked out by Thor. And Thor decides he needs to return to Asgard. And meanwhile, the news is covering the United States falling into chaos, which reaches Captain America, who went up to Alaska and decides it's time to come home. This is what I'd consider like much more how I think a lot of people see Mark Millar where there is some really dumb stuff but there's also some great moments like the there's a scene where the maker's like ha what are you assholes going to do to me and then we cut to the Hulk getting shot down from a satellite in space mm -hmm. but also I don't think it's close to being as good as the Republic is burning uh, I would agree. Like, it's it goes too far. It also went too fast. Yeah, I, I think part of that is Hickman deciding he is Audi. No, probably. How do you feel about it compared to Ultimate Comics Enemy? That's oh, better than that. Uh, Ultimate Comics Doom. Better than that. Uh, de uh, the Ultimates 2, Gods and Monsters, I think is better than that. Um, hmm. uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four Silver Surfer? Better. Ultimate Spider-Man Legacy? Not as good. Alright, so our new lucky number 13 is Ultimate Comics Ultimates, number 7 through 12, two cities, two worlds. Which brings our list up to 158 stories. Nice. Now, uh, Devin, do you know what we're covering in two weeks? Some Ultimate X-Men. And? Some Spider-Man, probably. Spider-Men. Nice. Mm-hmm. As 616 meets this 1601. Yep. Uh, all right, yeah, that that's uh, that's what we got. Devin, you got anything to promote, or where can people find you? Well, you can find me online at Fred Fett, that's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T, -T, and Luke, where can people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Coltreg, K-O-L-T-R-E-G. I am also on, uh, well, I've updated my website at LukeHerr.com. You can find links to all of the podcasts that I do, including the new Pokemon Actual Play podcast that I've launched called Established Property Playhouse, where I am doing a lot of music uh, for it, and it's it's uh, a fun, generally all-ages Pokemon adventure. Nice. Yes. Um, and then everything else, you know, it's on Twitter. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, let us know, especially as we are getting close to the end of Ultiverse OQ. We're talking about what is going to come next. And, uh, yeah, we've also got a holiday special coming up this year, which should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's, that's it, you know, keep it simple, keep it nice. Uh, you have anything else more to say before we go? Nope, think I'm good. Well, then I just say to all of you, catch you on the flip mode. Peace.